you have your copy of God's Word with you today, I'd like you to take it and turn with me to Luke chapter 18. I hope you have your Bible with you today, Luke chapter 18. Take your copy of the Scriptures and turn with me to Luke chapter 18. In this new year, you've heard me challenge you, if you've been with us either of the past two weeks, to read your Bible in 2016. Now, you should know at this point, if you haven't figured it out yet, you should know at this point that God wants you to read your Bible every year. (laughs) I just want to make sure you understand, I'm not just saying just 2016. But this is January, this is the, the earliest part of 2016, and I am challenging you and encouraging you to read your Bible in 2016. And I'm doing this because if we are going to be growing as believers in Jesus Christ, if we hope to know the joy of the Lord as our strength, if we hope for Him to use us for His glory this year and every year, we need His Word. We need the Scriptures at work in us. We need the Word of God equipping us, strengthening us for the work that God has blessed us with and given us and entrusted to our care. And to have the Word of God working in us, we need to read the Bible. I've said it before. I'll say it again because I think this is such a powerful truth and an encouraging truth. If you if you want to hear God speak to you, if you want to hear God speak to you, read the Bible. Read His Word. This is how God speaks to us. And as I heard somebody say a long time ago, not, not uh, maybe a year or so ago, and it's just kind of stuck with me, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> read your Bible. You need that. I need that. If you want to hear God speak to you, because this is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. Read the Bible. I trust you've heard me say that in these first few weeks of 2016, and I'm going to also be encouraging you with this. And I trust you've heard me say this, that I'm also going to be encouraging you to pray to two valuable spiritual disciplines that we dare not neglect, that we dare not overlook. In 2016, I am challenging you and encouraging you to be diligent to read your Bible and to be faithful in prayer. Reading the Bible in prayer, these are the building blocks of our faith. They are absolute necessities. They are not optional equipment. I just love the car commercials that say, you know, that show you this beautiful car, this incredible car as it drives and it's nicely appointed. And then, you know, it says starting at. The starting at price is the car totally stripped down to the bare essentials. Sometimes I drive around and I see people that don't use their turn signals. Evidently, that's optional equipment these days too. So that's what I'm talking about, right? You know, these optional things, the, the starting at price is all the optional stuff you don't get. Guess what's not optional for a believer in Jesus Christ? The Bible and prayer. These are not options. Please don't think that they are. You can't choose to say, I don't need the Bible. I've heard that before. I read it once. 
You need to read God's Word again and again. I cannot tell you how many times I have heard other believers say, and I have experienced this for myself, that I have read that passage a hundred times if I haven't read it a thousand times, and it spoke to me in a special way that it's never spoke to me before. And that is because the Bible is like no other book. It is supernatural in the way God uses it. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. God uses it to pierce our souls, meaning He does heart surgery. He does surgery on our souls, on our lives, with the Word. So don't neglect the Word. Today I'm here to challenge you and encourage you to not neglect prayer. Do not neglect prayer. We desperately need prayer. It is also not optional equipment. For the believer, it is a necessity, an absolute necessity. Now someone might ask, why pray? Wait a minute, doesn't God know what I need? Yes, He does. The Scriptures are clear. He knows what you need. Well, why pray then? Why pray? Why pray in our worship service? Why pray in small groups when we gather together in smaller groups? Why pray with my wife? Why are you telling me to pray with my spouse? Why pray with my husband? Why pray with my children at home? Why pray with my grandchildren? Why pray with my friends? Why preach on prayer? For answers to questions like these, we go to God's Word. That's where we should always go for questions like these and all kinds of questions. We should go to God's Word. And so we go to God's Word this morning, and I sent you to Luke chapter 18, and we are going to look at Luke 18 this morning, and I want to give you three reasons why we should pray. And we're going to see these reasons begin here, and then I'm going to take you to some other passages that extend on these three reasons. There are many other reasons than just these three. But I think these are the big three. As we look at this passage and several other passages, we'll see this, and as you read your Bibles, you'll see this. First of all, we pray because God commands us to pray. God commands us to pray. That goes along with that little phrase that you've heard me say, God said it, that settles it. <laughs> God said we're to do this. We ought to be diligent about prayer and learning how to pray better and being more, more committed to prayer. God commands that we pray. God's Word commands that we pray, so we pray. Secondly, we pray because we are given the example of Jesus who prayed, and we'll we'll expound on that, but just think about this. Jesus prayed. We, We are not God in human flesh. We desperately need to pray. If Jesus prayed, we need to pray. And then thirdly, we pray because we are given the example of the early church who prayed. The New Testament shows us the early church the infant New Testament church in prayer and the growing church in prayer. So here's the first reason we're to pray. And here's why I'm challenging you to take seriously your privilege and responsibility to pray. One of the clearest answers, one of the clearest answers to these questions about why we should pray and why preach on prayer is found in this simple statement by Luke about a parable Jesus told to his disciples in Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. And I will read through verse 8, so follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from the English Standard Version, and we will see that we are commanded to pray. Luke chapter 18, verse 1, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. 
They had always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 2, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The greatest reason for prayer is this. As God's people, we are commanded to pray as those who profess the name of Christ, who who proclaim that I have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of my soul, for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe in Jesus. For those who profess Christ, we are commanded to pray. Luke points to it in verse 1, and he told them a parable to the effect. Here's the point of the parable that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then in verses 7 and 8, we hear Jesus say, And will not God give justice to His elect? In other words, if the unrighteous judge answers this request, won't a righteous God, a holy God, answer your requests? Will not God give justice to His elect who cry to Him day and night? Will He delay long over them? I tell you, He will give justice to them speedily. There's something we need to remember. God's speedily is sometimes not like our speedily. (laughs) His timing is not like ours at times, is it? But get this, God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. It is precise. It is just when it is needed. When He gives an answer to prayer, it is just when it is needed. Not a moment too soon, not a moment too late. And in God's economy of time, who does not actually need time, we need time. He created it for our help and benefit. God gives justice speedily. You can count on this. You can depend upon it. You pray, God answers. Now, why pray? Because as believers, we are commanded to pray. Why pray? Because when we pray, God answers prayer. We see this repeatedly in God's Word that believers are commanded to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 is a verse we all likely know, but let me read verses 16 and 18 also. So listen, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always. You want to memorize a verse? Start there. Rejoice always. Not only is it a short verse and easy to memorize, it's an important truth, isn't it? Rejoice always. Verse 17. Pray without ceasing. Another great verse to memorize. 
I think you've got it already, though, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What is God's will for His children? And if you ever find yourself saying, I wonder what God wants for me. What does God want me to do? What is God's will for me? This would be a wonderful place to start. This would be a wonderful place for self-examination. Am I a person who rejoices always? Am I a person who is praying without ceasing? Am I a person who is giving thanks in all circumstances for, for this is the will of Christ for me? Am I making that my priority? What is God's will for His children? Constant rejoicing, constant praying, and constant thankfulness. That alone is interesting and would be a great study in and of itself, but that's not what we're studying this morning. But but don't let this pass you by. Don't let this powerful truth pass you by. God's command to His children is that they pray. We hear it elsewhere in Scripture as well. We are to come humbly before God in prayer, asking for His will to be done, says Romans 12.12. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. It's amazing to me how much that's like the passage I just read in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Guess how you can be. Why can you be patient in tribulation? Because God will answer your request speedily. So be constant in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Colossians 4.2 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Again, incredible similarities to 1 Thessalonians 5 and Romans 12.12. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray for your own needs. Pray for the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because God hears and answers prayer. Be diligent. Be faithful. And what joy will be yours as you wait on the Lord's perfect timing for the delivery of His perfect answer. And I love the command joined with praise in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. This promise, this command joined with this wonderful praise, which also is connected with a promise. Do not be anxious about anything says Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with praise to God. Prayer and praise, they go together. It's not just about asking. It's about praising God for His goodness and grace and mercy. And I would suggest that as you pray and as you grow in your prayer life, begin with praise. It's a wonderful place to begin as you yield yourself before God, just praising Him for who He is and reminding yourself. He doesn't need to be reminded, but you do. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, with praise to God. 
Let your requests be made known to God. And I love the promise that's connected with this in verse 7. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You and I need our hearts and our minds guarded Satan is the deceiver. He is the father of lies and he will use everything in this, in this society and culture in which we live to tell us something different than what God tells us. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may not understand how God is working or what He is doing or why He is doing what He is doing. But grow in your prayer life. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, with praise to God. Let your request be made known to Him and His peace will overwhelm you. His peace will be your joy His peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So pray. And prayer is a humbling of yourself before God, pleading with Him as you praise Him for who He is, to do what He is going to do, to have His will, to have His way as it is in heaven. In the words of the psalmist in Psalm 55 and verse 17, Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and He hears my voice. I utter my prayers to God. I I give my request to God all day long and throughout the day and whenever they occur to me. And right in the middle of while I'm working on something, something strikes me and I offer it as a... I love the terminology that Spurgeon uses. I offer up little prayer arrows to God. I shoot prayer arrows to God throughout my day. That's prayer without ceasing. Not that it interrupts our work. It's right in the middle of our work. And throughout our work and throughout the the responsibilities that we have. So why pray? Because we are commanded to pray. It is not an option. It is not a choice for believers. And when we pray, God listens and God hears and God answers our prayers. It's just as we hear in, in these verses in, in Luke 18, verses 7 and 8. God hears and answers our prayers. Oh, how foolish we are when we get so busy in our day that we think prayer is something that, that will slow us down, that will only get in the way, that will only distract me from my most important responsibilities today. If we are too busy to pray, we are too busy. If we are too busy to pray, we need to reorder our lives. We need to think carefully about what we are doing. There are some things we need to learn to say no to. Maybe even some very good things if we don't have time to pray. Because prayerlessness is foolishness. And I speak as one who is convicted by his own words in this. Please hear me. I don't intend to beat you up with this. I know that we come here together and we we go, oh great, the pastor's going to preach on prayer. I'm already pretty guilty about not being the prayer warrior that I should be, many of us. 
But I need this reminder, you need this reminder about the importance and the absolute necessity of prayer. I know you gather here to be encouraged. My intent is to send you on your way this week encouraged to grow in Christ's likeness in your prayer life for your own good, but ultimately to be obedient to your Heavenly Father. What joy will be yours? What joy is mine when we're obedient to God? God's ways our best. And this command to pray is an absolute necessity. We also are given the example of Jesus. Why pray? Because the Bible gives us repeated examples of Jesus and how he prayed and his commitment and devotion to prayer. Understand this. Maybe you've never thought about it this way, but maybe I'm the only one that's overwhelmed by things like this when I stop and I think about them carefully. Think carefully about this. Understand this. God in human flesh. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is not kind of like God. We've been through this, through the study in Hebrews. We've been over this again and again. But I will remind you that Jesus is God. He's not kind of like God He's not just a simple representation of God to mankind. Yes, He is God's representation of Himself to mankind. But Jesus is God in human flesh. And Jesus prayed. And our lives ought to follow His example. Jesus, God in human flesh, needed to pray. He He felt the need to pray. He felt the need to take time and set aside time and remove Himself. We'll see it here in a moment. Jesus prayed? That's instructive. And that's convicting. It was the habit of Jesus to pray. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35 says of Jesus, And rising very early in the morning, Man, did you have to say that, Mark? Really? My snooze and me, we're best best buds. I give them full attention in the morning. Snooze, 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 snooze. (laughs) And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there, God in human flesh prayed. There, Jesus prayed. There He prayed. By Himself, He got alone. He got up very early. Jesus' devotion to prayer is so instructive here. It's so convicting as well. We see that He made time early in His day for prayer. He made a point of removing Himself from distractions. I just tend to think about all the people that clamored to Jesus when He was healing and when He was providing food. Think about all the people that came to Him and thronged to Him when He gathered to teach. And I think, why did Jesus even sleep? Why did Jesus need to pray? Why did He take time to get alone and remove Himself? I mean, think about all the people that could have benefited. I... I think what's so instructive about this is this challenge and this reminder and this example that is ours. That if Jesus felt that it was necessary for him to have solitude 
and prayer before God the Father, if he felt that it was necessary for him to humble himself before God the Father's will and to pray for God the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, as he instructed us to pray, if Jesus realized that this was necessary for him, who are we to think that it's not necessary for us? And who are we to think that people weren't more greatly ministered to by Jesus because he did this? And might this be instructive to us that, that maybe we would have God's wisdom and strength and blessing to serve him even more effectively than we do if we were more faithful in prayer? Matthew fourteen nineteen also shows us a different perspective. Jesus' devotion to prayer is instructive here. He removed himself from distractions. That should be challenging to us to make prayer simply something we do not only do when we absolutely feel like we have to talk to God about something so critical in our lives that, that we can't move on without talking to God about this in prayer, but, but we make it a, a part of our daily life. But note how, how much so this was true of Jesus. Matthew fourteen nineteen also shows us that Jesus prayed over meals. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Jesus prayed over the food that the people were going to partake of. He said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. Jesus prayed before they partook of the food. I would imagine Jesus is thanking God the Father for His goodness. God the Father for His provision. There's a lesson here about our prayers being an opportunity for us to offer thanks and gratitude to God for His faithful provision as well as an opportunity to ask God to help us use what He's blessed us with for His glory. I love mealtime prayers because it's a reminder that we're to thank God for the simplest things. We could easily take food for granted. I mean, we can easily hop in our cars after the service this morning and go to any number of restaurants in the area and pay our cash and get a meal and think that was easy. But it's a reminder. Jesus prayed over something simple like food as He worked a miracle to provide food for numbers and scores of people. And yet, that's a reminder to us to pray over these things as a reminder of how God has blessed us and promises to provide for our every need and promises to answer our prayers. We also see Jesus' devotion to prayer and praying with others in Luke chapter 9 and verse 28. Now about eight days after these sayings, He took with Him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. There He is, getting away again, but this time with others. And in Luke chapter 5 and verses 15 and 16 it says, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him to be healed of their infirmities, but he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. But wait a minute. Didn't people need Jesus? Yes. Yes, they did. But Jesus knew he needed to pray. And yes, God calls us to serve others. God calls us to serve others. You've heard us 
giving this call to you. We've had that ministry opportunity survey available on the information desk, and we've said, look, God calls you to serve Him. Take that survey. Let us help you plug in to a way that, that you are gifted in and that God has called you to. And we'll, we'll, God will bless this ministry as each one of us serves. God certainly calls us to serve. But get this. God commands us to pray. And we dare not neglect prayer. Otherwise, our service may be empty and meaningless. And without God's help and blessing, if we don't cover our Submission to Him in service to Him through service in the church with prayer. We ought to take this seriously. And I would suggest we think about those areas in which we serve. Or maybe those areas in which you're drawn to serve in. Pray for them. Pray for God's will to be done in those. Pray for God's equipping and for hearts and minds to be changed through that area of of the ministry. Pray. Just think of it the one of whom Colossians 1, 15-20 says, I'm going to read these verses, but just think about it, apply it in this way. Just think of it, the one of whom Colossians 1, 15-20 speaks, Jesus, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. That's Jesus. He prayed. Verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. He's the one we're talking about who prayed. Verse 17, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He prayed. Verse 18, and He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. And yet He felt the need to pray. Verse 19, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was fully God as He ministered here on earth and as He prayed here on earth. Jesus prayed over meals. He prayed with others. He prayed early. He prayed late. He prayed alone. He prayed long. God in human flesh. If Jesus found it necessary to pray, then how much more should we understand that we are desperate for the need of prayer? Asking God that our lives be what they ought to be. That He would strengthen us to walk in obedience to His Word every day, no matter what the world around us says. Asking that in our lives and in the lives of people around us that God would have His will accomplished through our obedience to Him. That He would have His way. That He would bring His blessings. That He would bring His perfect answers at His perfect timing. And then... We are also given the example of the early church. Why pray? We are given the example of the early church. The early church saw clearly their need of prayer. And it wasn't because they weren't facing any opposition. The early church faced opposition. Serious opposition. And they they realized they needed prayer, and they devoted themselves to prayer. Says Acts one fourteen. 
All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. Praying together is an important part of life as a church. That's why we pray often as we meet in groups and we pray in our worship times together. Speaking of the early believers in Jerusalem, Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They prayed together. Acts 6.4 shows us that the apostles said after the church appointed deacons to serve the church, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. Get a little cue there as to why we're emphasizing now in these early days of 2016 the importance of the Bible and prayer. It's what God calls the leadership of the church to devote themselves to the ministry of the Word and prayer. Then again, speaking of the early believers after Peter and John were released from jail and warned that they should shut up about Jesus, do not preach about Jesus anymore. We'll let you go, but you need to quit preaching about Jesus. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, and this is a prayer, listen, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you hear this? God's people saying, Almighty God, who sovereignly appointed that Jesus would come to this place and be cruelly treated and crucified, part of your plan, and now we're being persecuted for speaking the name of Christ and preaching the name of Jesus, and now, Lord, verse 29, as they continue to pray, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Get this. That Holy Spirit is in each and every believer in this room. That same Holy Spirit that gave them holy boldness to speak the name of Jesus in the face of opposition, that same Holy Spirit indwells you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, He is living in you to give you holy boldness to face what could be opposition in the workplace, even in your home, even in your family or your neighborhood, to, to be a, a faithful, godly example of, of obedience to God's Word. Speaking the name of Christ with boldness. And often I think, oh, I think we have been bamboozled by the devil. 
that we think there is so much opposition out in the world that we can't, we had better not say the name of Jesus. I don't believe it. There are no police officers here standing in front of the doors this morning telling us that we cannot come and worship. No one is hauling us off to jail for speaking the name of Christ. No one is telling us, shut up about Jesus. Well, some are. <laughs> but they can't do anything about it. And I'm, ta- I'm not talking about being believers who got into the workplace and are obnoxious and don't do their work. I'm saying go work hard for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do your job. And be a holy and righteous and upstanding person before God as you humble yourself before God and ask for His wisdom and guidance and help to stand in the current of opposition that flows the other way. But I don't believe you'll have that holy boldness if you're not asking God for help. Though His Spirit dwells in you, you quench the Spirit by your lack of prayer. And I quench the Spirit by my lack of prayer. It is incredible to me that they leave jail. They go and meet with the believers, and the believers say, God, you're sovereign. You're in control. We remember Jesus. We know that you brought him here to be crucified. And what would look like incredible opposition and things gone all wrong was, in fact, your plan. And you can use that that thing that looked to us like an incredible mess for your honor and glory. And we look at the culture we live in and say, what a mess. What's going on, God? And God's saying, my will is going to be accomplished. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not proceed against it. And yet we don't pray. I don't pray. We have periods in our days and weeks and months and years when we go without prayer and we neglect wonderful gifts that God has promised to us if we will humble ourselves before Him and call for Him to do His work. And in this day, we are in such need of boldness because we have gone the opposite way in so many ways. We've become so passive in so many ways, and I don't think there's any reason for that because we have the Holy Spirit. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And He has given you His Word He has given you His Spirit, He has given you His Word, and He is calling on you to pray and to ask for His will to be accomplished in your life, through your life, in your family, in your church, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. You desperately need God's power working in you. I desperately need God's power working in me. You need Him working through you as you serve Him for His glory. Remember, you serve for His glory, not your own. You need His help for that. And you need this reminder from the Bible today that you cannot serve Him without His power, nor can you serve Him without His answers to your prayers that come at just the right time and in just the right measure. So we pray. Or we do not have because we do not ask. So why should we pray? I've given you three reasons. I have four to share with you from John Piper who says this, and I read, I read this again and again occasionally to remind myself why it's so important to pray. pray. And he has four reasons, and they are a lot more than, our, than my three and his four, but I share these to encourage you to make time for prayer each day. 
Devote yourself to being prayerful, a prayerful person throughout your day. Set aside time to be alone, to remove yourself from distraction. Turn off those devices and those things that make noise. And, and if you've got small children at home, I totally understand. I totally understand that this is nearly impossible. And God understands that too. So when you go to the bathroom, <laughs> shut the door and pray while you shower. Pray while you do your hair or shave or whatever it is. Right? John Piper says we should pray. Why? Because God tells us to. Hey, we're on the same page with that one. And again, he's got four reasons. I've got three, but there are even more and more from God's word to pray. But he says God tells us to. First, we pray because we're told by God over and over again in the Bible to pray. James 5.16, pray for one another that you may be healed. First Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Luke 22.40, pray that you may not enter into temptation. That is a powerful prayer we desperately need to pray. God, guard my heart against temptation as I face all kinds of temptations today. Luke 18.1, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart, our passage this morning. Luke 6.28, bless those who curse you. Hear this. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Pray for them. Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Remember, your heavenly Father hears and answers your prayers. Piper says, why should we pray? To increase our joy. To increase our joy. Second, we pray because it is designed to increase the fullness of our joy. Jesus said in John 16, 24, until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Pray for your own joy. For the sake of your own joy, pray. He says that your joy may be full. God did not create prayer to make us unhappy. He created it so that when we convey our hearts to God the Father in the name of God the Son, God the Spirit moves with fullness of joy that we would not otherwise know. If your joy in God is small, this may be part of the reason. Pray that your joy may be full. Oh, my, that's convicting. I can't tell you how many times in my lifetime I have felt ill at ease and discontent, and I can go back and look. It was because I had not been asking for God's will to be done. I had not been submitting myself to God's will in prayer. And likely I had been neglecting the Word also, neglecting the Bible. Thirdly, he says, why should we pray? Because it is a staggeringly awesome privilege. We pray, thirdly, because it is a simply a staggeringly awesome privilege. Think of it. God runs this world with infinite wisdom. You and I never inform Him of anything He doesn't already know. He never add, we never add to His wisdom about what, we, what He should do next. He doesn't need our prayers to know what, what He should do. This is as basic as it gets. He is God. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. Romans 11, verses 34 and 30 through 36. He goes on to say, Nevertheless, God has ordained to make our prayers real causes of real events. Real causes 
The words James 4 too, you do not have because you do not ask, do not mean you would have had anyway even if you didn't pray, since God had a plan and your prayers don't matter. You do not have because you do not ask means prayer causes things to happen that do not happen if the prayers don't happen. This is breathtaking. And if you neglect this privilege, your participation in God's moving the world You are acting very foolishly. We pray because it is a staggeringly awesome privilege. And then fourthly, why should we pray? Number four, prayer glorifies the Father and the Son. He says, finally, we pray because depending on God the Father in prayer, in the name of Jesus, makes them both look gloriously strong and wise and loving. In other words, prayer glorifies the Father and the Son. Jesus said it clearly in John fourteen thirteen: Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Paul puts it like this, You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. From 2 Corinthians 1.11, we pray because it brings thanks to God when the answers come. Get that? We pray because it glorifies God the Father and God the Son. God gets the glory when we pray and God answers. Otherwise, says Piper, we tend not to see God's hand anywhere when in fact it is everywhere. Take great hope with that. And so as he says in conclusion, the psalmist put it like this in Psalm 50, verse 15. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. You call, I answer with power. You give me glory. That's why we pray.